Well, good morning. Uh, let's uh, turn uh, to God's word together uh, for the, the real reason we came. Um, this is uh, John chapter 5. And if you're visiting with us, uh, we have worked through um, the Gospel of John. I think this is our 31st time. And we've made it up to chapter 5, verse um, 25. So this is God's word. Let's focus on it together. John chapter 5, verse 25. And this is God's word. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself, and he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of God. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just. And let's stop there for this week. Let's pray one more time. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, um, Thanks to my good friend, uh, Joey Selipek, uh, I've been introduced to the wonderful world of uh, all things Elvis. And uh, Tammy and I have been looking at Elvis uh, stuff. You know, Elvis week, it's kind of hard to understand if you're not from here. Uh, you think, kinda, oh, it's kooky and all that stuff. But if you, when you go to Elvis events and you see these guys with the, the big, long sideburns and they're so committed and they have these $3,000 jumpsuits and stuff, it's really funky. You get caught up in this kind of this crazy world. Um, but we've been going to Elvis stuff for a long time because of Joey. And one time I had the most unique experience. Um, Joey, you remember when he used to do like a, a worldwide web broadcast from Graceland? And it was like the, this thing called the internet was kind of new. And uh, you had adoring fans like in Norway or somewhere. Um, anyway, Joey would do this live internet broadcast from Graceland for the vigil and all that stuff. And Elvis's grave and everything. And one year he took me along as a key grip. And so he was allowed to bring one assistant, and I was his key grip. And I have no idea what a key grip is. I know it's some kind of Hollywood term. In his case, it means I handed him an ice-cold Ozarka at one point. Uh, That was the only thing that I did for him as a key grip. And then the rest of the time, I had full access to Graceland. So you've got thousands, I mean 10,000 people out on on the street in front of Graceland. You've got all these hundreds of people in line to get in, to go past the grave and everything. And I've got a thing around my neck. And I've got full access. And at one point, it was just me and some people setting some stuff, the flowers up and all that stuff. But at one point, there was a lull. Joey was in his trailer smoking uh, cools and, um, with all his Hollywood friends. And uh, I'm wandering around Graceland, and I'm telling you, I was the only person. I was the only one at the grave. I was the only one at the front door. I'm walking around the back by the pool. I was the only one walking around Graceland. And all these other people, thousands of them, are camped out there. It was amazing. Now, I say all that to say this. The one thing that allowed me to wander around the grounds of Graceland when all these other people have traveled from all over the world and wait in line to get in, the one thing that got me in was that I was credentialed. It's fun to be credentialed. Because when you're credentialed, you get to go places other people don't get to go. And you get to do things other people don't get to do. And you have authority to do things that other people, they're waiting in line. You have authority to just walk around the grounds of Graceland. It's pretty amazing. Um, When you're credentialed, uh, you have a license. You know, uh, in a a way, you're credentialed to drive. Uh, You're credentialed to, um, you know, cut people's hair. 
You have to be credentialed to do that. You have to be credentialed to practice law. James Bond is licensed to kill. Uh, He's credentialed, okay? All that to say, our main idea from this passage is this. Jesus is a credentialed savior. Um, He's got the authority. He's got the goods. He has the say-so. In fact, per the teaching of the whole Bible, Jesus is exclusively credentialed. No one could be a savior except Jesus. And John, the gospel writer's focus is just that, to say that Jesus is himself the son of God, Jesus is himself God, and that there is no other savior than him, nor can there be. Uh, And God the Father is repeatedly presented in the gospel of John as the instigator of salvation, this plan of salvation that we talk about. God the Father had a plan. But Jesus is the one who executes the plan, and the instigator, the Father, sends the Savior with authority. And that's the whole point of, um, that, that's, that's one of the biggies of, of uh, the gospel writer John. A Savior is worthless if he doesn't have the power to save. He can want to save all day long, but unless he's got the authority and the power to save, worthless. All right, so let's go to our first of four points, which is hearing and living. And the first thing we need to remember about this, this passage here that started in verse 25, it's, it's, picking up, um, it's picking up a narrative that's already happening. And the most important thing we need to remember here is that Jesus is the one doing the talking. Um, he is actually responding to um, something that's already been set in motion by him, which is that he healed this poor invalid guy who had been lame for 38 years, okay? So you've got an older, older guy, 38 years he had been lame, and uh, laying at this, this helplessly at this, this pool, and Jesus heals the guy. Well, that's a wonderful thing. You think, you think religious authorities would be thrilled about that. However, the problem is he healed the guy on the Sabbath, all right? And so he healed the guy on the day of rest. And I don't know if you know this or not, but that's in the Ten Commandments, uh, quite important. And the Jewish religious leadership knew this, and uh, they don't like that Jesus has healed on the Sabbath. And uh, their, their, their um, motives were really betrayed because... They were annoyed that Jesus healed on the, the Sabbath, but they weren't joyed that he helped a guy. I mean, this known guy who'd been there for 38 years, I mean, when, when you lay there for 38 years, day after day after day, uh, helplessly, uh, you're a known quantity. And rather than be excited about this guy who was healed, who's now walking around, and maybe even amazed at that, they're more annoyed that he healed on the Sabbath. But the, the thing that really drove them nuts was this, the claim that Jesus was obviously making. If you look at verse 17, they're mad that he did this on the Sabbath, but Jesus answers them in verse 17 of this chapter. My father is working until now, and I am working. Yes, God, the creator, rested on the seventh day, but God is still spinning the earth on its axis. Um, God is still working salvation. God is still controlling the juggernaut of history, and Jesus is also working. And what Jesus is saying is, my father, yes, there's a day of rest that he instituted, indeed, but my father is always working, and I am working. And what they hear in that is what he means them to hear, which is this. He is equating himself to God. And in case you doubt me, here's what that says. This is why, verse 18, this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. It's kind of like Rudy Umloff and Jim Umloff. Um, the older I get, the more I look like my father. 
The more I, the older I get, the more I look at a photograph and I go, look at those old eyes. Oh, it's the, my bags, you know? My hands look like my dad's hands and the, the, the umlaut blood is coursing through my veins. And so Jesus is equating himself uh, with God, uh, the Father. Now, um, this, is a, this is a non-political illustration, all right? It's a non-political illustration. Don't mean anything by it except to use a current situation as an illustration, the White House. Let's say there's a big meeting at the White House, And uh, you got the head of this and the head of this and the head of this and this. They all come together and they talk about some big important thing at the White House. Now, do you think that meeting would be the same or different if Ivanka just happened to walk in and sit plop down? Think it would be the same meeting or a slightly different meeting? I think it would be a slightly different meeting. (laughs) I think people would go, Ivanka's here. Everything we say is overheard by Ivanka. Now, why is that an issue? Because Ivanka has a beeline right up to the top. That's why. She's of the same stuff. Um, and that's the whole point here. And, of course, that illustration breaks down uh, very quickly because um, Christ is actually legally um, equal to the Father. Uh, Ivanka's not equal to the President of the United States. She's not in elected office. Okay, so that, that illustration, any human illustration breaks down very quickly. But the point is authority. Jesus intentionally is doing something here, and his hearers know it, and that's why they wanted to kill him. He's calling himself God, making himself equal with God by saying that he's the son of the Father. And every honest surveyor of Jesus must admit that he is either who he says he is um, or he should be despised. And that's apparently how Jesus wants it. He's setting us up to not take him just kind of milk toast. He's setting us up to have to make a call um, he's equating himself with God, and you either go, well, that dude's crazy or evil or something, or he really is that. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't allow you to wriggle out. He, he pins you down and goes, you have to make a decision about this Jesus, me, um, because um, I'm equating myself with God, and that's, that's a big deal. All right, so we pick up in verse 25 where he says he's continuing his defense um, of, of their objection about his equating himself with God. And he continues and he says, truly, truly, I say to you, um, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the son of God and those who hear will live. And now you know that kind of echoes verse 24, which we looked at last week. Look at verse 24. Again, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. And so the point in that is rather than Jesus going, oh, no, 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 you got me wrong. (laughs) You may have thought I was equating myself with God. No, you got me wrong. No, rather he says, verily, verily. Oh, you you think that's what I'm doing? Well, let me bring it home for you. Then he does it again, verse 25. Verily, verily, truly, truly, I say to you. Oh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm stepping on the gas pedal. I'm not backing off. I am saying that you got it right. Now, uh, we have to pause to clarify something. Um. There are two different mentions of resurrection in this passage, and um, you don't want to confuse them. For instance, if you look at verse 29, uh, look at it. It says, um, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil go to the resurrection of judgment. And don't trip up over that. We'll talk about that in a minute. But the point is, there's a resurrection in an ultimate sense. There's a resurrection of the body in an ultimate sense, when that great day of the Lord comes and Christ returns, there is going to be a resurrection of the body. That's an end time thing that Jesus is talking about, okay? Okay, that's, that's one kind of resurrection. But there's another kind of resurrection. 
It's an immediate and present resurrection. And it's in verse 25 when Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here, right now. It's happening right now. It's not a future thing. Yeah, there's a future resurrection for sure. But there's one right now too. It's now here. When the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Again, he's referring to himself. The dead are gonna hear the voice of the Son of God, Jesus himself, um, and, and will live. That's a resurrection. That is, um, that is a regeneration. That is being born again. Now, so the key to understanding all this, to apply this first point to our lives, um, all this talk of spiritual life, um, you know, in verse 24, it says, uh, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me is going to live. It's a discussion of spiritual life. That, that interests all people of all cultures for all times, this, this idea of spiritual life or death. We all think about this life and when it ends and what happens. What is beyond this life? What is beyond the cosmos? We have ultimate questions we think of. Well, the, these things are being addressed in this passage. And if you remember back to chapter three, verse three, when Jesus is talking to this, uh, this ruler of the Jews named Nicodemus who comes to Jesus at night, um, G- Jesus says, um, I say to you, again, he goes, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So there again, you have Jesus talking about this idea of the need for life, being born again. In fact, Nicodemus goes, what, born again? I've already been born from my mama. What are you talking about? Jesus is talking about spiritual life, being born anew. And unless you do that, you don't have any fellowship with God. Um, Jesus goes on to say in that same uh, chapter, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Quite a contrast, isn't it? Perishing or life. And it goes on in uh, chapter three, verse 36. Whoever believes in the son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Friend, do you believe that? Um, do, Do you believe that God is pure? I mean, you look around this world and it's just so broken and we don't know what's gonna happen militarily with an unpredictable country and there's unpredictable leaders all over the world. Um, and um, we don't know what's gonna happen. And uh, you've got flooding in Houston and you've got, you've got uh, broken relationships. And I, I sang in two funerals within two weeks. Um, no, no, one week. I sang in two funerals within one week this week. And uh, let me tell you, man, it is heavy, this thing, life, isn't it? Isn't it heavy to live and isn't it heavy to walk through trials and suffering with other people? Isn't it heavy to feel the burdens of others? Mark Baker's back, it's good to have you, man. But hasn't it been heavy to go through what you go through? It's a broken world, it's a fallen world. Do you believe that God is pure um, and, and that, 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 that there's a sin problem? Sin is what has fractured everything? Let me ask you this, do you believe that God loves you? Do you believe that the world is perishing because of sin? Because that's what it says, perishing. That's a hard word, it's a big word. Sin causes perishing. That, that, is a, that is separation eternally from the grace and mercy of God, perishing. Um, do you believe that God sent someone in your place? That's what the gospel message is, that Jesus was sent to live a perfect human life that you couldn't live. 
and he, he lays it down. You know, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. Well, what did Jesus do on the cross? It was just a sad thing that happened. Was it just a, you know, a, an example of meekness for all times? We're supposed to learn something from it about humility or whatever. Yeah, sure. But I mean, the wages of sin is death. What Jesus did on the cross was pay the wages. You know, when you work for that guy, he owes you wages. Jesus paid the wages that we deserved on the cross. That's what he did. Do you get that? That Jesus died in the place of sinners? That's what the gospel is asking you to believe. That when you believe on him, you won't perish and have eternal life. You're believing in what Jesus accomplished on the cross, which is to pay the wages of sin. All right. Second point, uh, judgment and authority. Uh, Let's look at verse 26 together. For as the Father has life, oh yeah, I love this. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. Now, <clears throat> that, along with uh, the judgment that we'll talk about uh, in, in a minute, the judgment at the end of the, uh, our text here, um, can, uh, trips people up a little bit because they read this, they hear this, and they go, uh-oh, gosh, I'm conflicted. I don't really understand this. For as the father has life in himself, so he has granted the son also to have life in himself. You look at that and you go, ooh, what does that do to the eternality of Jesus? I mean, has John, the gospel writer, forgot what he wrote just uh, three chapters earlier? You know, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. No, he has not forgotten. Um, It's very simple. Let me explain it to you. Um, Flip ahead, if you would, to chapter 11. Um, This is... um, the account of Jesus raising uh, Lazarus, okay? And so let's look at John 11, verse 14. Um, Jesus is summoned because uh, the friend of, of uh, uh, his friend, friends Martha and Mary, uh, they have a brother named Lazarus and he is sick and uh, he dies. And uh, they have summoned Jesus to come save him and uh, Jesus kind of takes his time and takes his time on purpose and Lazarus dies, And uh, it says in verse 14 of chapter 11, then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. All right, skip ahead to verse uh, 21. Um, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to him, her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. See, she's thinking about the final resurrection. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And by the way, I want to skip ahead, but let's read verse 27 because it's too awesome. She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ the son of God who is coming into the world. Is that not awesome? Uh, Anyway, skip ahead to verse 42. Um, I knew that you always hear me, and Jesus is praying now, but he says, but I I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus, Jesus said to them, uh, unbind him and let him go. I mean, can you imagine that scene? Jesus commands 
an obviously dead man. He, he already stunk for four days. He's already stinky. Hot, ancient Palestinian climate. Stinky. They, they move the stone away. Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. And, um, you know, I'm adding a little Hollywood drama to it. I, I know, but I mean, it's, it's, you know, he's still wrapped up. It tells us that he's wrapped up. He's still got a thing around his head. He's still wrapped in linen. I mean, can you imagine the scene? Lazarus, come out. Everybody's going, okay. He's already stinky. Uh, Jesus commands him with the word. And uh, the next thing they know, it's, you know, out, out hops Lazarus all wrapped up. Why don't you untie the guy? He's been made alive. I mean, that's, that's pretty amazing. But the point is, Jesus is able to speak. And all of a sudden, a person goes from stinky death to life. What is being shown? It is being shown to us what is, what is mentioned in our passage here. In verse 26, for the father has life in himself, so he has granted the son also to give life in himself. It is a validation of Jesus' deity. He says, Lazarus, come out with a spoken word, and Lazarus does. It is because Jesus has life in himself too. It does not mean that the father gave Jesus life. No, no, no. Um, The father has life in himself means that the father is self-sustaining. All right? he, He wasn't originated. He doesn't need help. He never learns. He doesn't need to be propped up. He is self-sustaining. He wasn't created. He he didn't receive life from anyone else because he has life in himself. The point of the gospel here is to say that so does Jesus. Jesus, also God, has life in himself. The son has life in himself. And what trips people up is this little little statement. Um, uh, As the father has life in himself, so he has granted the son to have life in himself, also to have life in himself. It's that so he has granted that blows people's minds that they go, oh no, does this mean that John's theology is out of whack or that Jesus was created or that Jesus was uh, some lower form that was elevated to some higher form? Heck no, ladies and gentlemen. The gospel of John, I mean, the, the gospel writer is not crazy. He hasn't forgotten everything that he's written thus far and, and reinforced, reinforced. Rather, he's saying this not to trip you up, but to clarify Basically, the text is saying this, that Jesus has the power of life. He has always had the power of life. And what God has done in his earthly ministry is like everything else. He is authorized to give life. You know, just like Jesus will say a zillion times in this gospel, that's an exaggeration, many times in this gospel, Jesus will say, I'm only saying that the words, I'm only saying the words the Father gave me. I'm only doing the work that the Father gave me to do. I'm only saving the people that God God gave me to save. Jesus is authorized, authorized, authorized in his earthly ministry by the word of the Father in the power of the Holy Spirit. And here it's saying that Jesus has life in himself. God has granted him the, the authority to do that. And that's why Jesus heals the lame and they get better. What is that but life restoration? It's life-giving. And then you go to the Lazarus account, and Jesus, with a spoken word, raises a dead man. What is that? It is the son authorized to use his divine power of life to produce um, health, all right, to life-give. And in case you don't think that that says it all enough, um, it goes on to say this in verse 27, and... Okay, in case you were tripped up by that other thing uh, and, you, and you went the wrong direction and thought that Jesus was a lesser form, raised to a higher form, that's, that's bull. Um, Jesus is the son of God. In case there was any confusion on that, look at verse 27. And God the Father has given Jesus authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. And so um, what you have here is this 
this grand statement, son of man. Um, we got to explore this a little bit. How many do it on time? Great. Um, yes, it is true that Jesus is like us. He's human like us. And so in that sense, he's the son of man, right? So he was born of a virgin. He lived a real human life. He wasn't part human. He was all human. And uh, he, 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 uh, he is our representative. He is our federal representative because he's fully human. All right? So yes, it's true that he's a son of man in that sense. But if you're quick in your Bible and you want to turn to Daniel 7, go ahead. This is Daniel 7, uh, verse 13. And this son of man term, this is where this shows up. This is why Jesus likes to call himself the son of man. Uh, this is where he gets it from. It says this in Daniel seven thirteen. I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. All right, so you've got this, this, uh, this uh, 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 prophecy, this vision, and there's this son of man character. There's somebody who's like a human being, who is a human being, a son of man. And look at, look at how it's, this person is juxtaposed. And he came to the ancient of days. That's the eternal God. So you've got the eternal God, you've got this, this, this person, the son of man person, and the son of man person is presented before the ancient of days, the eternal God. What of this, this son of man person? Well, to him, the son of man, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people's nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. That's who this son of man person is. It's this son of man person who's given this dominion. This son of man person is divine. This son of man person has an everlasting dominion. Now, you can't say that about other people, but you can't about this son of man person. And so what, what is the point? The point is that Jesus is fully credentialed. The point is that Jesus has full authority to save. He's, he's worth putting your faith in, uh, everlasting, uh, divine authority. Um, and then in verse 30 of our passage here, it says, it says this. Jesus goes, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just. All right, let me read you something from this. This is a great quote from this dude. And um, Yeah, 324. Um, listen to this. Um, <clears throat> Jesus' judgment has the goal of glorifying God by doing his will. When we come to stand before Jesus, his motive will not be our well-being, but God's will and glory. If we stand in our sins, he will glorify God by our, our eternal condemnation. And if we've been cleansed by his blood, Christ the judge will glorify God by declaring our justification. I mean, is that not amazing? God will be, God's glory is foremost in Jesus' mind. And um, if we are without a savior, Jesus will glorify God by judging. If we are with the savior, Jesus will glorify God by, by, by collecting up his, his lambs. Um, it goes on to say, this is a comforting thought for those who trust in Jesus because our sins have already been punished on the cross. It is not merely God's grace, but also God's justice that grants us a legal claim to heaven. Oh, that's a great point. It's not just God's grace, but it's God's justice. Justice was met. You know when the person cuts you off on the road and they're driving crazy and there's not a cop in sight? That's frustrating, isn't it? It's frustrating. 
You ever had a cop catch the person? Who's had a cop catch the person? Pretty fun, isn't it? You know, you're driving past, they're pulled over, you're like, do, 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 do. You know, it's, it's, it's a good feeling because justice has been served. It's not that iniquity, transgression can just be swept away or just overlooked. It's justice has to be served if you're a holy God. And so the point is, justice is served. Jesus' point um, is that God's, God's brought glory um, no matter what happens. Jesus is judge. All right, speaking of that, let's look at our third point, which is life and judgment. Um, as I mentioned earlier, the end of this chapter, excuse me, the end of this, this, our, our verses here in verse 29 talks about a final day, a final uh, resurrection, a day of the Lord. Um, and what I want to point you out to you is this, in verse 28, it says, um, Jesus goes, um, do not marvel at this. Yeah, life is in me, I can give it. Um, all judgment and authority has been given to me, I'm going to judge. Yeah, the, the son of man, you know, the one the ancient of days gave dominion and authority and all uh, executing judgment power to, uh, that's me. Don't marvel at this. He goes, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Um, don't, don't marvel at that. That Velcros itself to everything that was said in verse 27. Don't marvel, says the Savior. Uh, authority is mine. Now, um, let's fold our application for the sake of time into the last point, okay? Um, so we got life and judgment. You've got a final judgment. You've got a final resurrection. Um, and uh, here we are in hearing and judging. Let's explore that a little bit together. Verse 30, Jesus says, I can do nothing on my, on my own, all right? So remember, the, the Father authorizes everything Jesus does in his earthly ministry. Jesus is um, submissively, joyfully, humbly, humbly, obediently carrying out the Father's will to receive this joyful inheritance, of, uh, uh, which, is, which is us, um, which is shocking. Uh, but Jesus says, I can do nothing on my own. Um, and he says in verse 29, this kind of scary sounding statement that those who have done good to the resurrection of life, uh, those who have done evil to go to the resurrection of judgment. You got two different things. Now, don't think that that throws the whole gospel out. Uh, no, no. Um, are we saved? We're saved by grace through faith. This is a kind of a trick question. In a sense, are we saved by works? By Jesus' works. <laughs> not by ours, but, but by what Jesus accomplished. It's not that he just died a martyr's death. It's that he lived a perfect life, a perfect human life. The Son of Man lived a perfect human life. Um, and so... Um, those who have done good to the resurrection of life are simply those who have believed unto life. That's been the point all along. Those who don't believe, those who are gonna perish, those are the ones who've done evil to the resurrection of judgment. That's what this, this writer was talking about, how, how Christ honors God by, um, by judging and by forgiving uh, in, in each case. But never forget this. This is what I wanna show you. God is a judge, yes. Christ is the eternal judge, Yes, but never forget that God is a just judge. You know why I say that? Psalm 711, God is a just judge. Uh, you remember back in uh, Genesis 11 when the people rebelled against God's mandate and um, it says that the Lord came down to see, this is Genesis 11:5. the Lord came down to see. Now, friends, did the Lord need to come down to see 
Did he need to come on down? Oh, let's see what's going on down there. It's so, oh, wow, look at that. What a shock. No. But the Bible speaks in terms that we can understand, anthropomorphic terms, terms that human beings can understand. And it says God came down to see so that we go, oh, it's not that God isn't sovereign and doesn't know everything all the time and isn't everywhere present. It is that it communicates to us that God is a just judge. He's not a capricious judge. He doesn't go, nah, I like the way you look today. I had a good burrito for lunch, so mercy for you and judgment for you. No, God is a just judge. He comes down to see. Um, the point is that God judges righteously. He sees. And what Jesus says here in verse 30 is this. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge. You know what he's saying? I am a just judge. That's what he's saying. And, and um, on one hand, that's eternally, profoundly comforting um, that I hear and I judge. My judgment is just. But um, if you're without a savior, well, that's the scariest thing you could ever hear. Oh, gee, uh, what do I do with um, all the things in my life over which I feel shame? And you know, the Bible says that um, we sin more uh, not knowing about it than we do knowing about it. So you know the things that you feel shame over, the things that you feel guilt over, the things that are heavy on your shoulders that you wish you could take back or say differently and you can't make it right with the dead uncle and um, all those kinds of things. Uh, those are oppressive if you don't have a savior. Um, and you stand before God, you're, you're, he's a just judge. Christ hears. God can't sweep it under the, under the table. He's got to judge in righteousness and truth. Well, that's a problem without a savior. But the good news is, and this is what makes grace amazing, is that you can be forgiven if you believe that Christ took your place on the cross and paid the wages of sin. I mean, is that not good news? I mean, every football game, you know, grace. I mean, everybody belts these things out and people, oh, kind of just, everybody seems to know that song. The only thing that makes grace amazing is that we were perishing and God sent someone in to take the punishment for us that we might be freed. And that guilt that we have on our shoulders and heart lifted, gone, because it was crucified with the Savior. All right, we close up with this. Um, C.S. Lewis famously said um, in uh, his book, Mere Christianity, which has been around for forever and ever, and has, honestly, if you're a, if you're a, smarty, if you're a smarty pants person and... Um, and um, you're a skeptic and, and you, you like, uh, you know, your BSometer is raging all the time. Mere Christianity is a great book um, because C.S. Lewis was like you and smarter than you. And here's what he says. Either this man, Jesus, was and is the son of God or else he's a madman or something worse. Let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not attend, intend to. Um, and here's the, here's the final thing I want to leave you with is, is this. Um, one writer I was reading said this, the supreme response that Jesus calls for is for that of worship. That's a big deal. That Jesus is saying, you can worship me as God. You know, elsewhere, the same gospel writer, John in Revelation, um, he, 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 he uh, bows down before angels and they go, whoa, 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 you knucklehead apostle, John, you kidding? You wrote a gospel. You're writing Revelation and you're bought, worship God. Jesus is going, I am God. It's okay. You can worship me. I want you to, you should worship me. 
I'm deserving of worship. Friends, Jesus claims um, to be God with full authority over your life. Um, It says in verse 23 uh, of this passage, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father. Again, no more or no less than Jesus um, claiming the right um, to be worshiped. He will judge all souls one day. They will either face the gavel of graceless punishment or they will continue in everlasting life. So I ask these questions of you to close. Do you see? Do you see it? The gospel? Do you hear? Are your ears open to hear the gospel? Do you believe that this is the the one path to God, this exclusive Jesus? Uh, He makes that claim. Do you believe it or not believe it? Let me ask you this. Do you live? Righteous God, we come before you and um, we thank you that there are, there are plenty of remnants all over creation of how wonderful you are and how good you are and how powerful you are. We just see it in creation and um, we're, we're humbled. We're humbled by the outdoors. We're humbled by um, complexity. We're humbled by the cosmos. We're humbled by math. We're humbled by music. We're, we're humbled by all you have made, the, the, the performance of the human body. It's just all so amazing, Lord, but it is quite clear that the world is broken as well. And uh, it's clear to us that we're broken inside. And we thank you, Lord, that you've not given up on us, but rather sent a savior to live a perfect life so that that perfect life could be laid down in the place of sinners to pay the wages of sin. Thank you for saving me. I pray that you will draw each soul in this room closer to you, oh God. I pray that for their benefit. I prayed for your glory, and I only ask it in Jesus' name who lives. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Appreciate you.